puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Conklin's pass, a shot, they score! Shankly Connor scores! What a stop by Hellebuck! Nikolai Ehlers off the faceoff! Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, joined on today's episode uh, by Mitchell Clinton of Jets TV and 680 CGOB's Jamie Thomas joining us. we got a great episode for you today, uh, including a, a great guest, a little bit of a throwback guest, uh, Anthony Peluso joining us here on the podcast. We uh, chatted for about 15 minutes the other night and uh, talked about a, a number of things, including his recent uh retirement from the game of hockey uh you know his time with winnipeg uh it was obviously his his main nhl shot and then uh we talk about what he's getting into now so uh lots to uh lots to come on the podcast along with uh jamie's going to talk about the nikolai ehlers kyle connor pierre luc dubois line brendan Dillon's solid play uh the push for the playoffs uh, we'll look ahead to what's to come. And lastly, uh, some leadership being shown from Nikolai Ehlers in a few different ways. So we'll get into all of that. But first, Mitch, as always, we start with you. The week in review. Uh, the Jets are 6-2-1 and one in their last nine. Uh, a three-game road trip uh, that yielded four of a possible six points. Uh, only blemish coming in the, on the island. And uh, I think... You know, right after the start of that third period, the Jets get within one and the game could have gone the other way quite easily. But uh, just your thoughts on the week that was and uh, also a great win over the Vegas Golden Knights 7-3 at Canada Life Center on Tuesday night. Yeah, that one was wild. Um, but at the same time, like if you go back to the start of the road trip, like it was an interesting situation in, in New Jersey because, you know, they had been playing quite well uh, coming into that game against the Winnipeg Jets. And the Jets, of course, were coming off the big win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, you know, they're, they're trying to surge into the, into the playoff, uh, into the playoff race, even, even deeper than they already are. And, you know, New Jersey had a bunch of shots, but Eric Comrie, <laughs> he didn't want to call it a revenge tour, but uh, he was only there for a month and he had nothing but good things to say about New Jersey, but you know, for him to go in against a, a team that he had one start for uh, last season, to go in there and pick up a big win and play the way that he did against the New Jersey Devils. I mean, the only one that beat him was a cross-ice one-timer from Jack Hughes that went bar down. I mean, what are you going to do about that? Um, but, I mean, it just showed that the Winnipeg Jets, you know, they were opportunistic in that in that game, I thought. They played pretty well in some areas, but there were definitely parts of the game where New Jersey certainly had a push, and Eric Comrie had to be at his best. And then, of course, Kyle Connor scores the goal that we all knew was in the, the official for some reason. I, I, you know what? And being in the in the spot of that official, there have been times where I've been like, "Did that? Did that actually go in?" But for, I could tell from the press box. I think it's just because I was lucky and saw the net bulge. But Kyle Connor knew it was in, and everybody else seemingly knew it was in. Uh, and the Jets hang on to win that one. Uh, so a good way to start the road trip with a win. Then, yeah, the next night you go into the the new UBS Arena. And I was getting the website ready and I'm, I got so used to writing like either Brooklyn or Uniondale or something like that as, as like the, the header, the, the place, the place where the Jets were playing. This one is in Elmont, New York, just a fun fact there, uh, but a fantastic facility that the Islanders have there. Um, really good for them, I think, as a, as a team after, you know, so many seasons of are we there? Are we here? Uh, where, like, which facility are, are we in this one? This one you can just tell is made for hockey and, and. And they've fit in quite well there, I think. Jets, you know, 
they were down down two one. They get you know their uh, a two on O goal in that one uh, to get themselves back uh, within one, and then it really a couple of minutes span, and all of a sudden it was you know the Islanders had pulled away, and they're a tough team to to come back on. So the Jets unable to pick up any points in that one. They were they were disappointed in themselves after that game. I think you could kind of tell in the voice of you know Josh Morrissey and Nikolai Ehlers, guys that you know uh, spoke after the game. They, they weren't too thrilled about their performance there. So they had the day off in St. Louis the next day, and then they came out and played really well against the St. Louis Blues. They've taken seven of eight points from the Blues this season. The only loss really was in a shootout in the first meeting of the season. So ultimately for the Jets to win that game in, in overtime, uh, a time of the game that hasn't really been too friendly to them over the, the course of the season, that, that was big. And I know Jamie's going to get into the line of Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois, but that game was the first one that we had really seen the Jets go with that three forward look in overtime for quite some time. And, you know, Dave Lowry had kind of said that, you know, there, the injuries had kind of been a, a reason for that. You know, you don't have Nikolai Ehlers. You didn't have Andrew Kopp. You know, it was kind of, you know, it's tough to, to go with that three forward look all the time when you don't have the options after them uh, to be able to, to put out another, you know, good couple of units of three. So, Jets pick up that big win. And then, like you mentioned, seven, three over the Vegas golden Knights, a couple nights later, um, that, that almost looked like the Winnipeg jets of like prior seasons where, you know, they would just off the rush or they would be just extremely high skill goal scoring seemingly was the, the one against the Vegas golden Knights, not so much those second chance opportunities, but you know, that's going to remain an emphasis for the Winnipeg jets, but it was, I mean, it was fun to see the, the Winnipeg Jets was kind of sniping all over the ice because, you know, throughout the first half of the season, they didn't get those bounces. They didn't get those looks and, uh, and they weren't going for them. So nice to see in the second half of the season, the Jets kind of finding those that touch. And, uh, you know, that interim head coach Dave Lowry and the players will also keep an emphasis on those second chance opportunities and get traffic to the net. But overall, and like you said, six, two and one in your last nine, things are going well for the Jets right now, but they have to keep it up. Jamie, uh, obviously in St. Louis, uh, Evgeny Sveshnikov ended up taking the 10-minute misconduct, which sort of allowed for the birth, so to speak, of the 81-80-27 line, that being Connor Dubois and Ehlers. Uh, obviously, three very dynamic players. Uh, each of them bring a bit of a different element, but all fantastic in their own right. Uh, what have you seen from that three? And uh, just what can you expect going ahead here as uh, the team makes the push for the playoffs? Well, we even saw a little bit of that line in uh, the game against the Islanders when uh, interim head coach Dave Lowry was flip-flopping Evgeny Sveshnikov and Nikolai Ehlers. And listen, he had mentioned to us and to the media yesterday that it was inevitable that Ehlers was going to find his way back to the top six. He is a top six forward, hands down. And, you know, I think he was just trying to see see how long Ehlers would get back to himself, see if, when, how long it took him to get his hands back in place after being out for so long with that knee injury. But it's just it's just a dynamic line. That's all you really can say. You have a guy that in Pierre Luc Dubois that will drive to the net and at any point in time, which drive brings defenders towards him, which opens up the flanks. Like there is just so many possibilities with Ehlers and Connor on both sides. And uh, Kyle Connor continues to score the way he has all through this. I think he has a goal in 33 of the 61 games this year. And uh, Ehlers is flying like, you know, we've known him to do, but there just seems to be some more, a little more purpose and chemistry with these three together. And the Shifley line is taking the top. They're matching up against either the top line or of the other team or their top checking line, which frees up the Dubois 
Connor Ehlers line. So the Jets are getting the matchups they want with this, and in particular, certainly on home ice as well. So, man, like it, it's a line you can't help not thinking, you know, four or five years down the road. And clearly, Pierre-Luc Dubois still has to sign a new contract, but that seems to be inevitable with the way he's playing right now. But it, it's it's so many ways you have dynamic guys on the side that can score from anywhere. Ehlers can hurt you uh, at one, one step, you know, he gets by defenders. So it's just the other lines, the other defensemen have to respect all three of them. And that all opens up space somewhere along the line. And all three of them are so good at finding space. Pierre-Luc Dubois creates space. So the way things are going right now, it's just, it's hard not to be excited about what this line can do. And it's a big reason why the Jets have pulled themselves into a playoff a playoff conversation. And you, you have to wonder where Kevin Sheveldayoff, what, what he's thinking right now with the trade deadline uh, less than a week away from now. But, man, it's just it, it, you just every time they're on the ice, you're, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. And that's uh, that's all you can ask for when you have a line as good as this. Yeah, no kidding. That trade deadline coming on Monday, the 21st, and it definitely will be interesting. I think the last number of years, the Winnipeg Jets have been clear buyers, but uh, obviously lots of a bit of a different scenario for for the team. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, The thing that leads to that scenario, Mitch, is the wild card race. As it sits right now, the Winnipeg Jets are two points back at the Vegas Golden Knights for that second wild card spot. Uh, but between them and the Knights sit the Dallas Stars, who have 67 points, along with the Vancouver Canucks, who have 67 points. Vancouver getting a win uh, 6-3 over the New Jersey Devils on Tuesday. Uh, but just how do you how do you look at this playoff race as things start to whittle down and uh, come down to the final the final weeks of the season? Obviously, it's it's a different spot uh, for them, but I think it's something that they're comfortable in. Yeah, because I think you've had some players that I mean, you look back at the 2019-2020 season and the Jets were in a battle uh, for that final wild card spot in that season as well. Of course, that offseason um was full of changes for the Winnipeg Jets leading into that 2019, 2020 campaign. So uh, I think they were still not necessarily finding an identity, but kind of finding their way. Like, you know, for so many years, they had had that big blue line that, you know, had uh, could, you know, basically eliminate offensive zone possession for the other team whenever they seemingly wanted to. Um, So they were still, I think still finding their way a little bit in that season, but they were in a battle and there's a lot of players on this team that were in that group that are used to it. And I think so much of what the the jets have been talking about the last few days or really the last month or so, especially coming out of the all-star break has been, you know, it's, it's one game at a time. Like, you know, you, you look at the big win over Vegas, it's easy to look at, okay, well, we play Vegas tonight and then in a week as well. And, you know, there's a four point difference, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you win both those games and you start, all of a sudden your mind starts racing past what you can really control. All you can control is that night against the Vegas golden Knights. And the jets were able to do that. Now, as you said, Tyler, like they find themselves a couple of points back in that wild card race. And all of a sudden, you know, yeah, you have some teams that you got to pass. Um, the Dallas stars have three games in hand on the Winnipeg jets. So that's going to be a team to watch over the next little bit. Uh, the Minnesota Wilder in that top wild card spot at 72 points. They've also got a few games on the Jets, but I think the Wild are trying to get back ahead of Nashville, who's third in the Central Division, just two points ahead of Minnesota. And Minnesota's got a couple of games in hand on Nashville too. So like, there's so many moving parts still 
um, that if you're the Jets, the only thing you can really do is just look at what you can control. And for, for them now, you, you look ahead, you, they've got Boston coming in um, on Friday to Canada Life Centre and the Bruins are in a battle of their own. Like they're really in terms of the Eastern Conference wild card. I mean, they've got 79 points and the next closest team to trying to get into that uh, wild card race is Columbus. They're at 63 points. So Boston's probably got a little bit of a cushion in that regard. They're eight, one, eight, one and one in their last 10. So that's another surging team coming into Canada life center, but you know, they're, they've probably got aspirations a little bit more on trying to climb up ahead of the Toronto Maple Leafs in the Atlantic division. So uh, lots going on and lots for the, for the Boston Bruins to be concerned about. So really with, with, you know, 20 ish games left to go in the regular season, there's still a lot of time. Now, that being said, you don't want to, you know, string together um, any losses in that regard, but you certainly want to be able to, to handle what's in front of you. And I think that's what the Winnipeg Jets have done so well. And a big reason for that is the group of guys that they do have in the dressing room that have kind of been through these battles before. Well, uh, good on you, Mitchell, for answering that question, because according to my rundown, I was not supposed to ask you that one. Uh, <laughs> well, not bad. Not bad. Eh? There you go. Uh, and Jamie, I wasn't supposed to ask you this one either, but uh, yeah. you, uh, you're, you know your stuff. So Brendan Dillon, <laughs> I hope so. He's on, he's on the rundown. Uh, uh, what have you seen from him? Uh, the big defenseman is really sort of just showing why the Winnipeg Jets went after him. You know, obviously he gets that two on one goal against the New Jersey Devils, but he yep. just appears to be snuffing absolutely everything out. He plays physical down low, just exactly the type of player you want at this point in the season. Yeah. I, I, and you speak of that New Jersey game, the Devils have a lot of talented, smaller type forwards in their group, and they were all over the Jets a lot uh, off the rush in that, that first game of the road trip. And I remember Brennan Dillon absolutely wiping out Dawson Mercer behind the net. He had an open ice hit on, I believe it was Pavel Zaka. So that there was a couple of timely hits that kind of seemed to slow down the Devils forwards and made them think twice about coming across the blue line. They're always looking over their shoulder, trying to figure out where number five is at all times. And I even think last night in against Vegas, uh, he's hunting through the neutral zone. And I, I don't remember the Vegas forward that had the puck, but he immediately just got rid of it. So th th there's that aspect of his game. And that was one of the reasons why he was brought in. He was also brought in because of his presence in the dressing room, the respect he has and the, and the type of player and person that he is. And I, I remember watching last night in the game, uh, they had the up in the Jumbotron, the celebration for Josh Morrissey's 400th game. And there's Brendan Dillon taking off his gloves and giving Morrissey a standing ovation to the laughter of the, of, of his teammates on the bench. So there's just lots of little things. And he's, he's formed an incredible pairing with Neil Pionk and Pionk is healthy, healthier than he has been recently. So that is another kind of shutdown pairing option for the jets too. So everything that they wanted him for to do, and why they traded for him, I think he has done, and then a little bit more than that. So, and now his leadership and his physicality and the way he plays is helping the Jets grind out some wins here when they need them the most. And maybe he's another voice in that dressing room that was helping them through this and getting into a place where they need to be, which is where they should be in in the playoff conversation. Anthony Peluso up next here on Ground Control. Uh, enjoy this fifteen-minute conversation. Shop where the players shop. Jets Gear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com. Hi, this is Blake Wheeler, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. 
joined here on the Ground Control Podcast by former Jets forward Anthony Peluso. First of all, Anthony, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the podcast. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. Is I got this, the uh, down and now I got uh, some time for myself so I can clear my clear my head and really spend some time with you. Perfect. Uh, how, how old your your kid? I got two. I got a four, one turning four in May and uh, my little guy just turned two. So two boys running around the house. So I was just before we got on the call here, I was scrolling through your Twitter account and it's been some time since you posted and there were a lot of dog posts. Are the dogs uh, still in the picture and how did they help with the, the kid prep? <laughs> the, uh, the dogs are both still in the picture. Uh, unfortunately, they just got bumped down the totem pole in the house and he's <laughs> now at the bottom, but okay. I'm sure like every family has dogs that just, is inevitable and it always happens so yeah all right uh well obviously uh according to the hockey db page you, you played a little bit of hockey uh last year but uh this year you've taken a step away from the game i guess uh just what went into that decision to uh step away from hockey um it was kind of just like a traveling thing i got the two kids now at home um you know i went over and played some european hockey last year and i unfortunately had uh, not the greatest experience so um, decided to kind of move forward uh, with other life things. And that's kind of in the position that I'm now just transitioning. Um, I took a bunch of courses this summer to become a firefighter. Yeah. Uh, so again, that's a process in itself. Uh, yeah. I'm also uh, building a bunch of houses now too. So oh, got wow. my hand, hands in a couple of cookie jars, we'll call it. And yeah, it's keeping me busy for sure. Yeah. So where are you at in that process to become a firefighter? And is that something you want to do full time down the road or how does it work for you? Yeah, that's definitely something that I think everything, the thing about firefighting is it's the team atmosphere. So it's the biggest thing that I miss from the hockey aspect of my life, like being around the guys, being, having that camaraderie, like just being in that sacrifice all for your one, your team guys is what I really truly miss. And I think that that's still a missing piece in my life that on a day-to-day basis, I miss. And uh, I think that is going to be my full-time thing along with the housing, the building houses, something I've always, uh, I've enjoyed the last couple of years on doing a couple of personal stuff. And now I'm kind of starting to branch out. So that's pretty cool. Now, I don't know if, I think I'm recalling this correctly. During the 16-17 season, you were with the Moose. That was my first year with the organization. And we went and visited a fire hall. And I think you were, were you at that fire hall visit? Uh, probably, I probably was, I think, I don't think I would have missed any of those. Yeah. I feel, and I, I feel like I remember you being really into it. So it makes a ton of sense that this is somewhere you've ended up. Yeah. I think I also did the take it just to work with Jimmy Slater. Like right before and we did the yeah. whole fun thing and you know, it's, it's cool. It's, um, it's one of those, uh, careers that you're able to give back to your community on like a day-to-day basis. And like, you know, that's something that I really cherish as well. That's awesome. Uh, looking back on your career, obviously drafted in 2007, but it took you uh, some time to get to the National Hockey League level. Just what was that block of time like when you were just building yourself up to eventually earn that opportunity? Yeah, it was basically, it was just a commitment. I think um, I wasn't a high pick. I think I was a sixth rounder, a late pick and had to make my name for myself, as some people would say, uh, the hard way, I guess. And that's the way I kind of took. Um, so I remember my first couple of years, I mean, I got branded the enforcer, so I just went with it and just started, I guess, scrapping my way up to the national hockey league. (laughs) I know my skills coaches and everyone that always, that I talked about, they said, yeah, your toughness is going to get you there, but it's your skill. That's going to be able to keep you there. So, um, 
unfortunately I had lots of issues and injuries and kind of dealt with everything through my career. And I, I still wish I was playing, of course, like everybody else that's retired, you can never, it's never an easy thing to step away from the game. And yeah, uh, yeah, I really did enjoy it. You know, you kind of mentioned there being the enforcer, being sort of branded as that tough guy. When you sort of came to the realization, like if this is, you know, what I want to do, this is what I'm going to have to do kind of thing was, what was that like mentally? And and I know a lot of guys have talked about post-career that they were nervous going into games and just how was that for you? Um, depends the day, I guess we'll call it. Um, I understood that I was good at it. Uh, at a, a young age, I was, I was a boxer for a long time and I remember I got beat up once when I was a kid and my dad put me in boxing after that and said, I'm never going to let you get beat up again. <laughs> um, since that day, I, I guess I've always handled myself pretty, pretty well in that aspect. And I wouldn't say I was ever uh, nervous. I would, I would use it more of like, I was always prepared, I guess we'll call it. So more focused on that. And it's crazy when you talk about like in-game stuff and, and fighting when it, when it actually happens, the world goes quiet. And it's, it's like the famous Muhammad Ali saying, right. The fight is won and lost long before those flashing lights. And I really, I believe that. So, you know, obviously for me watching you play for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. Like you were a fantastic fighter and just how much did the boxing help in terms of that preparation and, you know, it seemed like you won pretty much almost all of them that you, you went at. So just what was that like? I think it was just like, it's, it's a lot of timing, right? So it's like your body mechanics and how you're balancing on the ice and weight shifting. And that all kind of ties into it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like, like I said, it like slows for me. It was, it just, the world slowed down when I was in a fight. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. Like that was my one I guess safe zone we'll call it and I know it's a little bit weird to say but no it makes sense yeah um you know you talk about fighting in the game and it's obviously a huge topic of conversation right now and and that was the role that you played but it seems that those fighting responsibilities have sort of changed a little bit I mean you look at the current makeup of the Jets right now Adam Lowry is sort of that guy and you know he can do so many different things on the ice but fighting is one of his responsibilities what role does fighting play in the game that it, it's still relevant today, I guess, is the question that I ask. It's relevant in the sense that it's a fast game and it's, I mean, people, people respect it still. And I think players respect it still. And I think until the players stop respecting it, which I don't think will ever happen. I don't, I think it's always going to have a place in the game. Um, knowing that there's someone on your team that has your back, whether it's Adam Lowry or whether it's Nikolai Ehlers wanting to step up. For your team. <laughs> that's, that's just something like that goes on like the sacrifice of the game and the team atmosphere. And, you know, it's, it's all the little things behind it, not just about what happens in the fight. Like, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. And I know um, it's controversial and it's always has, and it always will be. So. Uh, you, you mentioned Nikolai there. Did your time overlap at all with him? I know he's he's liked to mix it up uh, quite a few times with uh, yeah, some big names too. I played. I think I was. We were there two or three years together. So yeah, but he was just, he was really young at that point. I think he was uh, that was first year after drafted eighteen, nineteen, twenty was I think when I played with him. So yeah, it's kind of a, it's pretty spectacular to look at some of these guys that were young per se when I played with them, and now you watch what they're doing and how they've evolved and the way that their games are going is pretty crazy to see. 
yeah. So, you know, talk of, talking about your career specifically in Winnipeg, um, you know, you got your shot in the NHL with Winnipeg. Just how special was that to have a team believe in you and then put you in the lineup sort of on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, it, it meant every it's every boy's dream, right? You grow up in Canada playing hockey to play for any team is fantastic. But um, the biggest part of me was being able to share with my family because I guess they were with me from uh, start to finish. They've been through everything with me. So to be able to just make it there and understanding, like, because they're really the only true people that know the commitment and saw what happened behind the scenes for me to get to that point. I think that's what I really cherished about it. How special of a place is is Winnipeg to you? It's where you got your opportunity and stuck with it. Yeah, you know, Winnipeg gets a little bit of a bad rap, but it's freezing cold and whatnot. <laughs> but, um, the one thing that people don't realize is how good the people are that are there. Like, there's still a lot of people from that team that I still keep in, top, in touch with. Uh, Matt Halschuk is still one of my best friends. I talk to him. I try to talk to him on a weekly basis, but he's terrible with his phone. <laughs> Our wives are still best friends. Um, I still try to keep him in touch with wheels all the time. Um, big buff. I still talk to him on a regular basis, which is, is, which is pretty good. So the special thing about Winnipeg to me was not only it was a great place where I have all these memories and great times, but also the, the people that I met, that I believe that I'll continue to have like a relationship for the rest of my life with. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, do you follow the team pretty closely still? I mean, you mentioned wheels. He's obviously still playing amazing at, uh, at the age he's at, which it's not to say he's an old guy at all, but he's definitely, uh, in the later stages of his career. Yeah. Uh, I, I keep tabs more so on people than I do as on teams uh, in, in general. I think I, I guess Instagram now and social media is so widely available that it's hard not to keep tabs on people, but just watching people's families is more. So what I care about at this point, want to watch people's kids grow and kind of see what everyone's up to. And it's an easy way to just reach out when you're thinking of somebody like, Hey man, uh, thinking about you. Like I wouldn't have known it was Blake's thousandth game, uh, whatever it was a couple of months ago. And then as soon as I saw it on Instagram, I was able to like message him, be like, congrats. I actually sent him a picture uh, from the plan on his 500th game. So it's oh, yeah. It's crazy how quick time flies, I guess. Yeah, I guess it was, was there ever a moment during your time in Winnipeg that you sort of were able to really soak it in? Were you a player that was sort of cerebral that way, or you were sort of aware of, Hey, I'm in the national hockey league, or were you sort of focused on that day and, and, and focused on your career? And then at the end of it all sort of look back on it uh, with, with a different lens. Kind of a mix of both. Like you never would, I was never one that took being in the NHL for a day. Granted, I went there with uh, my hard hat on every day and had to grind to survive. And um, like you said, it's, it was, there was no time to reflect. If you tried to sit down and reflect, there was however many people looking to take your job. So at the end of each day, t- tip your hat at the work you've been doing and continue to try to move forward. Claude Noel was the coach when you, when you joined the organization, but Paul Maurice uh, was there for, for a good chunk of it as well. Um, just what did, what did those two men mean to your career? Well, Claude Noel was the first guy who gave me my real shot. Right. So um, even after I left Winnipeg, he was, I believe scouting with New Jersey and he reached out to me a couple of times and I actually saw him when I was playing in the Myers. Uh, I think he was scouting when he was there, he was with me in San Diego a bunch. So, um, you know, they, they developed me as a person, I guess, more than anything. And the, at the end of the day, Mo was a great guy and he was very easy to talk to. And he was, he's regarded as a player's coach. And um, 
I've always had a good relationship with them and they were always straight shooters with me and told me how it was and what was going on. And for that, that's really all you can ask for in this world. Is, and I respect the world of those guys. Earlier this afternoon, I was looking at some of your goal clips on YouTube and, and your first NHL goal, I believe it was in Nashville. And you were pretty much the only person in the building that knew you scored. Uh, what do you remember yeah. about that night? There's two, only two people that I remember scoring me and Ole Okunen. Yes. We find that too at the same time. So I remember, I, I don't know how, but I'm blessed. It's a crazy memory where I can remember like specific things about everything. So there's, I remember what I did the night before. I remember what I was doing the morning of, and just a, a, a wild thing. I remember actually that morning we were, I was working with Wade Flaherty and we were practicing wraparounds in the morning of that game. And really? Yeah, I think we were doing a goalie drill before pregame skate. And I remember just for some reason I was able to beat uh, Pavs to his post on that game. And lo, lo and behold, there you go. <laughs> First goal was like that. What uh, what were you doing the night before? Or uh, or can you share that on the podcast? I know Nashville is a fun town. Nashville is a fun town. I will say that uh, we were wandering around the city a little <laughs> bit, I guess. Uh, we may or may not have ran into some upper management at the wrong time. Oh yeah. That'll so happen. I was told to just make sure I was ready to go and lo and behold, <laughs> there, there you have it. That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I'll let you go. I appreciate the time and uh, look forward to working with you in the future as you join the, the Jets alumni group. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. You know, I, I really did enjoy this. Even the time it takes to just reflect on stuff from the past, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. So, Awesome. Thanks so much, Anthony. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Winnipeg Jets fans, did you know that online 50-50 tickets presented by PlayNow.com are available for all Winnipeg Jets games? That's right. Whether the Jets play on the road or at home, you can participate in the game day 50-50 draw. The winner will take home half of the jackpot with all proceeds in support of the True North Youth Foundation. Remember to buy your tickets on all Jets game days at WinnipegJets.com slash 5050. Thanks so much to Anthony for coming on the podcast. We wish him all the best and uh, who knows, maybe we link up with him again uh, down the road for uh, an alumni profile. Uh, hopefully he can find some work as a firefighter too. That'd be really cool. Uh, Mitch moving forward. Uh, the Boston Bruins, like you mentioned earlier, are on tap for Friday. The Jets do have two days in between games today. As we record this, the 16th, the Wednesday is an off day. Uh, the Jets will hit the practice ice on the 17th. It sounds like Andrew Cup has a possibility of playing on Friday against the Bruins. They did say on the TSN broadcast last night that uh, he's essentially just being given a few days to get things right. Uh, not an official word on whether it was a concussion or not. So we'll wait to hear from Dave Lowry on that. But possibility that Andrew Cop plays. And then looking ahead down the road, uh, a Saturday or sorry, a Sunday evening tilt with the Chicago Blackhawks, the final meeting of the season between those guys. And then the Vegas Golden Knights again on a Tuesday at Canada Life Center. Uh, and then going forward, we might have a podcast in between then and now, but the 24th and 25th, the Ottawa Senators and the Columbus Blue Jackets come to town. Mm -hmm. That one should be fun. Uh, Mitch, your thoughts on the week ahead. Well, lots going on. And, and I mean, you mentioned the, the two days between this, uh, the win over the Vegas Golden Knights and Friday's contest against the, the Boston Bruins. I think that's probably one of the most important parts of this whole thing. You know, the Jets came off playing three and four. Uh, the Vegas game was four and six. 
so this couple of days is, is massive. And I remember there's, there's times during the season where I like get in the press box ahead of a game or something. And I, I think to myself, I hope the players are feeling a little bit more energetic than I am. And now these guys are elite athletes, but you know, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm a little bit tired today. Might have to, you know, have a coffee in the first intermission, like, but they can't do that. So <laughs> that's how I was feeling uh, going into the Vegas game. Um, thankfully the Winnipeg Jets seemed to have a lot more energy than I did uh, to pull out that win. So these two days in between, I think are just as important as anything else for the Winnipeg Jets, especially obviously. Yeah. Like I said, you're, you're squaring off with the Boston Bruins, a team that's absolutely rolling right now. Um, so if, if Andrew Kopp is able to play, that's going to be a big boost uh, to the lineup, not to take anything away from what Jansen Harkins and Evgeny Svechnikov were able to do with Adam Lowry against the Vegas Golden Knights. But I mean, Andrew Kopp is a guy that, you know, has been putting up points really ever since he came back from his uh, previous uh, concussion. Like you said, no idea whether or not this uh, current ailment is a concussion or not, that nothing has been finalized. Dave Lowry said an update's probably going to come either uh, today being Wednesday or more, more likely Thursday in and around, uh, when the jet, when the jets are practicing and yeah, you've got the Chicago Blackhawks, a, a road game, uh, at United center, a team that the jets have like, they've, they've had a big win over the Blackhawks this year. They've also lost to Chicago. So it's going to take your, your best game in United center to be able to come out of there with two points because no matter who you're playing, the two points are still valuable. Blackhawks are four, five, and one in their last 10 games. So it's not like they're scuffling along by any stretch. Um, they lost to the Boston Bruins the other night, but Marc-Andre Fleury was absolutely sensational in that hockey game. So every time you you go up against Marc-Andre Fleury, if he's going to be the starter for the Blackhawks on Sunday, I mean, you know, that that's always going to get your attention. And then, yeah, the rematch with the, with the golden Knights, it'll be interesting to see what their roster looks like uh, coming into that Tuesday, obviously. And Adam Lowry touched on this. They're dealing with a bunch of injuries right now. Some guys on long-term injury reserve uh, like Mark stone. And then, you know, they didn't have Riley Smith who clearly was a big part of their top line, but I thought, and this is an aside, I thought Jack Eichel for someone that hasn't played hockey in a long time, you know, you, you forget what kinds of things he brings to the ice, but, and just watching him. Uh, against the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday, he looks like he's pretty much right back to where he wants to be very smooth with the puck. Um, so if you want to watch him and, you know, hopefully have the Winnipeg Jets come up with two points again, uh, that's coming up on the 22nd. And then, yeah, the, the home back-to-backs are always interesting for me. You got the Ottawa Senators, a team that, uh, you know, went up against the Arizona Coyotes on on Monday and put up close to 50 shots I'm pretty sure and still lost to the to the Coyotes and the Winnipeg Jets know all about that type of feeling um the Coyotes are a team that kind of strung some wins together as well then like you mentioned the Columbus Blue Jackets on the on Friday the the 25th going to be uh quite the night I think at at Canada Life Center assuming you know that uh Patrick Laine he's had some He's been a little bit banged up, but he has been playing for, for Columbus and has been, you know, doing what he does best, which is putting pucks in the net. So, you know, clearly his, re- his return to, to Winnipeg along with uh, Jack Roslevic would be something exciting to see. And, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to have some motivation for that game and the Jets overall as well. They need the, they need the two points as well. So uh, an exciting week, an interesting week and a very busy week coming up for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and lots of uh, lots of entertainment for sure coming down the stretch here as every game just means so much. If you'd like to go and check out some of these games here at Canada Life Center, winnipegjets.com backslash tickets. Uh, lots of tickets available for some of these games. So uh, make sure to get your your seats. Uh, Jamie, one of the interesting things, and, and 
Dave Lowry has been coached for a few months and I thought he said something quite fascinating uh, in his pregame media availability on uh, Tuesday was that Nikolai Ehlers, you know, kind of owned up for the Christian Veselin and turnover against the St. Louis Blues. So you have that and then you look back to the game against the Rangers and he basically just tossed himself under a bus by saying a turnover that he had two minutes before a Ranger goal uh, was basically the impetus for the goal. So it just seems like, you know, he clearly he's being hard on himself. And I think that's a good thing, but I think there's some leadership qualities in that. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, take it anytime a, a veteran player takes responsibility for an error that, that I think that, you know, that, that only bodes well for the organization it only bodes well for the, the dressing room because Nikolai Ehlers is an elite NHL player and the younger guys in that room can see if he's going to admit to errors, they're going to think a lot higher of them. Um, th- th- just that trickle down effect that you want. And he may not wear a letter, but owning mistakes is a huge thing. Um, even as a, a player of the stature of Nikolai Ehlers. So I think the respect that he gains from there, and especially for the coach to point it out, that that's another big thing as well. So you're drawing respect from the coaching staff. I just think Nikolai Ehlers is growing so much uh, in such a short little time here um, for the Winnipeg Jets, and that can that can only help. But it, I, I admire it. The, the 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 Ranger one I find a little <laughs> over the top, but he, I, I found he's he's always been a little harder on himself than other players, at least publicly. Um, but I'm not surprised at all that he said that. But you could understand why he's a little bit upset with himself with the 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 pass to Christian Veselin in the game against the Blues. Uh, probably wasn't the best place to put it, but. Man, for him to do those types of things says everything you need to know about Nikolai Ehlers and the type of guy that he is. One interesting thing to note, obviously, the Blue Jackets coming in for the second half of that back-to-back. Now, traditionally, the Winnipeg Jets PR staff wouldn't make any players available to the media during the regular season anyway on the second half of a back-to-back in the morning. But with Patrick Laine, Jack Roslevic, Pierre-Luc Dubois, that whole story, I'm... What do you guys think? Do you think we'll have some work to do on Friday morning or will it be sort of status quo i was hoping for a nice brunch that day (laughs) we're we're working (laughs) don't forget about pascal vincent too so right yes yes there's i think we'll be working and that's okay because that's such a rare occasion and you know patrick line got uh knocked out of a game recently so i was sitting there thinking man are we gonna miss out on another patrick line coming back to winnipeg because it's been so long since he got dealt there and um he's he's okay but man that's uh you know, Ottawa the day before, but with that game coming on the schedule, I think it's okay that we do a little bit extra work that day. And, and let's hope that there's a little bit more work coming on past the month of April as well. I would agree. All right, fellas. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for listening to Ground Control, the official podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. We will see you all next week. This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com. Proceed with Abel.